You're listening to a podcast from BJSM. Hello, I'm Jill Cook, one of the deputy editors of BJSM, and I'm here with Dr. Jonathan Rees, who is a consultant rheumatologist and sports physician currently working at Addenbrooke Hospital. His sporting work includes professional football, rugby union, and disability sport. He was medical officer to the Great Britain 2008 Paralympic team in Beijing and worked with the 2012 London Olympic and Paralympic Games. He co-authored a recent publication in BJSM called A Time to Revisit Inflammation in Tendons. As expected, this has generated a lot of interest in both the clinical and research worlds. This podcast will reflect on what this means for tendons and for clinical treatment. Welcome, John. Thank you for that kind introduction. John, would you like to just give us a general overview of where your paper puts inflammation in the concept and treatment of tendinopathy? Uh, y- yes, of course. Um, well, m- from my perspective, I'm primarily a-, a clinician, but one with some research background, and I I see lots of uh, tendon patients. Um, the-, the issues that I have when when I'm treating patients are that uh, we don't fully understand the pathological process. Uh, we don't have sufficient uh, or sufficiently enough good treatments. And we also don't fully understand the causes of pain. But what I have increasingly seen from my clinical experience, uh, what I see when I scan patients, and from my understanding uh, of the literature, what I was seeing did not completely fit with a purely degenerative uh, theory of tendinopathy. Now, from the outset, I want to, to make it quite clear to our listeners uh, that I'm not advocating that we move back to a purely inflammatory model uh, of tendinopathy. So in, in this respect, the wheel has definitely not turned full circle. And I think this is a, a very important point to emphasize. However, uh, what I and my co-authors are saying, is that, and we believe this is backed up by the literature, is that to consider chronic tendinopathy simply a degenerative condition is an oversimplification. Uh, the journey from normal tendon to degenerate tendon is a complex one and involves elements of the inflammatory uh, process and other types of cell signaling. This is important because, as, as I've said, our current treatments are limited and potentially this could open up uh, new avenues to explore. So, John, are we talking about classic inflammation or are we talking about inflammation like tissue signaling? You talked about cell signaling in your response before. I think we're, we're talking probably more the latter, but there are uh, some similarities. Um, in, in classical inflammatory diseases, such as, for example, rheumatoid arthritis, inflammation is a key driving force. In tendinopathy, it's, it's a different driver. It's mechanical overload, which is a driver of pathology. But the important point is this mechanical overload um, is at least in part mediated uh, by elements of the, of the uh, inflammatory response, but also, of course, cell signaling um, and gene expression. Okay. So clarifications for the listeners. Can you tell me if the inflammation you think about in tendons and in patients that you see, is it the same as what clinicians think of after a person has had an acute ankle sprain, for example? Well, I think there are some really important differences here. Um, an ankle sprain or a ligament rupture, uh, is, that's essentially a traumatic event uh, which could often occur with uh, tissue that's previously normal, such as uh, an ATFL or an anterior cruciate ligament. 
you know, these normal structures may tear with um, a significant enough brute force. Following on from this, there will, of course, be an intense uh, in- inflammatory action. So what we're talking about here with tendons is something much more subtle. Repeated tendon loading will produce a response from the tenocyte that over a long period of time uh, could induce change uh, to the tendon matrix. Um, in-, in terms of inflammatory mediators, um, for example, Schubert and co-workers have demonstrated uh, the presence of uh, macrophages and TMB lymphocytes in, in chronic Achilles uh, tendinosis. Uh, various other studies have demonstrated increased levels of the pro-inflammatory interleukin-1 and both uh, COX-1, COX-2. And we know that uh, TGF-beta and substance P are uh, all thought to be uh, involved in the uh, inflammatory process uh, are increased, uh, albeit in um, small amounts, say, compared to you know, uh, a traumatic event, but increased um, in, in chronic tendinopathy. So, so the point I make is this, in, in chronic tendinopathy, rather than, say, rheumatoid arthritis or a major traumatic event, it, it's mechanical overload that's a key driver, and there's a, a journey uh, which in, involves cell signaling and some responses from the inflammatory cascade. John, you're probably too young to remember, but in my early clinical days, we treated tendons with uh, an anti-inflammatory from an anti-inflammatory paradigm, so with rest ice and, and anti-inflammatory medication. It was particularly unrewarding as a clinician. Uh, where do you think we sit with those interventions now? Well, uh, certainly when I was at medical school, uh, every tendon problem was referred to as anitis, uh, and the treatments uh, suggested were anti-inflammatory. Uh, tablets and corticosteroid injections. I, I completely, I completely agree um, that 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 was uh, an unrewarding uh, process. Thankfully, we've moved away from this, and certainly in my practice, I use very very few corticosteroid injections. But I think the, the situation is again a little bit more complex than this. For example, with corticosteroids, the the problem with them isn't necessarily that they don't work at all. Indeed, there's good evidence that in the short to medium term, they can reduce uh, pain and swelling, for example, in lateral epicondylopathy. But the problem is that the benefit is short-lived and that there is uh, the potential damage, possibly even more than potential damage, actual uh, damage to uh, tendon uh, tissue integrity subsequently. Now, we know with corticosteroids, they work on so many levels it's difficult to know uh, what are, if you like, the good uh, beneficial effects that they have and what are the detrimental effects. If we could work that out uh, and get something more selective, then uh, that may be uh, a possible uh, way forward. So let's just move on now to what happens in tendon pathology. You know that we get cell proliferation and activation and we get increase in proteoglycan expression and collagen expression changes and obviously matrix changes that include neovascularity. Do you think some of those are driven by inflammation or inflammatory-like change? I think it's an oversimplification to think that there is no inflammatory mediators or change involved in that uh, whatsoever. Our understanding is imperfect, um, but I think because there, because there was this tendonitis model 
and originally everything was, was thought of as that. And then we realized that that's not the main driver, uh, or certainly not the only driver. I think it's in the literature, it's in some quarters anyway, it's sort of been dismissed. What I'm saying is it's a highly complex uh, process. It involves everything that you've mentioned, but also uh, subtly and over a long period of time, uh, there have to be some elements of the inflammatory process involved in this uh, complex uh, process that takes you from a normal tendon through to uh, sort of an end-stage degenerate one. So, John, you know that there's been uh, three recent models of the pathoetiology of tendinopathy. Um, the iceberg model by Michelle Abate and the continual model by Craig Purdom and the failed healing theory by Fu. Where do you think inflammation sits in the context of those models? Well, generally speaking, I actually think it, it, it sits pretty well. Uh, looking first at the iceberg model by Abate et al., um, it's recognized that uh, in this model that microtrauma builds up over a period of time. And indeed, in their, in their conclusion, they state that, quote, it is conceivable that inflammation and degeneration are not mutually exclusive, but work together in a pathologic cascade of tendinopathy. Now, uh, I'm stating perhaps a refinement to that, that repeated low levels of inflammation and cell signaling lead to degeneration. In terms of the, uh, the model proposed by Fu, the failed uh, healing model, uh, in that model they recognize that accumulated damage, uh, abnormal cytokine profiles and increased vascularity uh, lead to uh, tendon pain and rupture. In terms of the continuum model proposed by yourself and Craig Purdom, uh, I guess perhaps you're better placed to answer the question than me, but if you, if, if you want me to have a stab at answering it, um, I, I, think, I think from my understanding of your model that there are many similarities that we agree on, but perhaps some subtle differences. Uh, we both agree that there's a long process or a journey from a normal tendon to an end-stage tendon degeneration. We both agree tenocytes adapt to mechanical loading, produce more proteoglycans, and that there are alterations in, in collagen production, collagen content, and structure. We also agree that eventually there may be tenocyte apoptosis and cell death. And what I'm suggesting is that uh, along with alterations in to gene expression, that there probably is a contribution from elements of the inflammatory process to these changes. I must confess to being delighted to hear you talk about altered cell signaling and inflammation in the same sentence because I think we do agree uh, on that concept that inflammation like mediators can alter cell signaling or affect cell signaling that can lead to the changes in any of these models and can be interpreted as inflammatory as well. I think I'd agree with that. Um... And I think that um, it's, it's complex. Um, and, and I go back to the point I, I made at the beginning just to, to clarify again for, for the listeners. I'm not saying that we should be back thinking it's just inflammation. But, he, but what I am saying is that to say that inflammation doesn't have any role at all in the journey from normal to um, uh, degenerate tendon is an oversimplification uh, and one that doesn't really stand up anymore. Uh, John, you state that vascularity in tendinopathy may indicate inflammation, but we know that hypoxia is a strong driver of neovascularization as well. 
Do we know which of these is active or more active in tendinopathy? The short answer to this uh, is no. Uh, it's a great question, it, and it warrants further research. I, expanding on this, um, we, neovascularity uh, isn't something that's unique uh, in tendons. We see it in many conditions. Uh, we see it in inflammatory diseases such as rheumatoid arthritis. We see it in malignancy, uh, and we see it in hypoxic conditions. And generally in the, in the literature, as, as you allude to, it's been described that there's a, a hypoxia-dependent and a hypoxia-independent uh, pathway that drives this. Now, as, as a rheumatologist as well, I scan patients with active rheumatoid arthritis, and the changes that you see uh, on ultrasound look incredibly reminiscent of the changes you see, uh, for example, on a patella tendon, which is a tendon that shows particularly uh, increased vascularity. Uh, we, we don't exactly know what's, what's driving uh, in each, but the suspicion is that factors such as uh, VEGF, uh, vascular endothelial derived growth factor, uh, must, must be important for both. What, what I would say is that when you, when you scan a tendon and you see uh, increased vascularity, to call that just tendinosis, tendinosis, of course, being a term we use for tendons that are devoid of inflammation, uh, is an oversimplification. Uh, the, same, uh, the same tendon, if you, say, put on the request form, this patient has a spondyloarthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, for example, that, in a, a different context, might be interpreted as showing um, inflammation. So, there's, to summarize your question, there's much we don't know, but when we see uh, near vessel or angiogenesis formation, to me it suggests that there may be an element of um, the inflammatory cascade involved in that. Do you think there's parallels between tendinopathy and any other diseases? Uh, I, think, I think there are many similarities uh, between the pathology of osteoarthritis in particular uh, and, and tendinopathy. Generally speaking, I think research on osteoarthritis is advanced, maybe even 10 years advanced of that scene uh, in our field. When, uh, for example, when tendinopathy was considered to be an inflammatory condition, uh, osteoarthritis at that time was considered to be a degenerate condition. In other words, sort of what we've more recently been thinking of uh, tendinopathy. The concept of inflammatory osteoarthritis is now reasonably well recognized and the, the genetic uh, component of osteoarthritis is certainly becoming better understood uh, these days. Um, th those factors, the improved uh, genetic factors, can explain why some patients get uh, primary generalized osteoarthritis, which is you know, not uh, caused by, for example, wear and tear, and some patients don't. There's, there's been some exciting developments in osteoarthritis recently, uh, and there's been a, a recent study uh, which has shown a delay in the progression of knee osteoarthritis uh, with the use of strontium ranolate, which is a treatment for osteoporosis. In the field of osteoarthritis, that's quite exciting. So hopefully, um, the parallels will continue, and in time, new treatments will be developed uh, for chronic tendinopathy that uh, we can use because certainly at the current time we need further uh, more efficient uh, uh, treatments.
Thanks, John, for clarifying, you know, your position on inflammation and tendinopathy. And I think it's going to be really helpful for our clinician listeners. And I'm really looking forward to the next tendon conference in Oxford in 2014. Thanks for your time. Julie, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And um, I think it will be a great conference in Oxford. And I look forward to seeing you uh, and everyone else there as well. Thank you for your time. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, go to podcasts.bmj.com.